Even the people who say always lead are also exclusive. They exclude anybody who says anything other than that always lead to heaven. They're all exclusive. Everything's exclusive. The question is not, are you going to believe in something exclusive? The question is, which exclusive truth claim are you going to believe in? That was Pastor David Robinson from Axe Church, and this is another Contemplate podcast. Thanks for listening as Pastor David begins a two-part study on the problem of hell. Now, that's a tricky subject. Seems like everyone has a different idea of what that's all about. But what does the Bible say? What's the truth? Well, let's find out. Here's Pastor David with today's episode, recorded live at Axe Church. Last week, we talked about the problem of pain, the problem of evil. And this week, we're going to talk about the problem of hell. I told Roger that I might call it the problem of heck, just so I don't offend anybody, but, you know, you guys will will make it through. Um, the problem of hell, let me just get to it. It's, it's a pretty um, basic issue with a pretty complex answer, but here's the simple way to state the problem of hell. This is what it is. How can a loving God allow people to suffer in hell? Now, there are a number of forms that this takes, but the basis of the question, the basic question, how can a loving God allow people to suffer in hell. Last week we talked about how could he allow pain at all, but at least that pain was sort of, you know, a smaller pain, a temporary thing that happened. Hopefully, maybe you could learn something from it and things like that, but now we're talking about hell. We're talking about something different. So how can God be loving and allow that to happen? And the problem is a little bit more complicated than that, but that's the crux of the issue. That's the crux of the issue. And we can't, in you know, this sermon completely deal with a problem that's been debated for 2,000 years over many, many, many books. But we're going to give a shot at explaining at least how God can be loving and still allow this, okay? And I just want to address something today because I realize that many of us have a background where when we came to church and we had questions like this and about issues like this, we were sort of encouraged either directly or maybe through body language, that type of thing, not to ask these kinds of questions. That's not the case here. We want you to ask these questions. We never want you to feel shy about doing so. We never want you to feel like um, you shouldn't ask certain questions because these things that cause doubts or they cause issues for us or that we think about, we have to answer those questions. We have to. So today is uh, Palm Sunday. I don't know if you guys know that or know what Palm Sunday is. Palm Sunday sort of celebrates the Sunday when Jesus made what we call his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. So this was Jesus last week on earth, and he's coming into Jerusalem, and, and this is what it says. Let's look in Mark chapter 11, verses 8 through 10. It says, And many spread their clothes on the road, and others cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then those who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And you may be wondering why I'm mentioning that or kind of switching gears to talk about Palm Sunday. But what you need to understand about this story is that these people 
They all got very excited when Jesus was coming into town because they had an expectation of what Jesus was going to do. And their expectation for the Christ, for the Messiah, was that Jesus was going to come in to Jerusalem. They'd already seen his power. He just recently rose Lazarus from the dead. They knew that he was legitimate, and they thought that he was going to come and free them from the imperialist Romans that had sort of captured Jerusalem and they were sort of under the foot of. That's what they thought Jesus was coming to do. So they said, hey, bless you, Hosanna, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they were lifting him up. Within a week, though, the tide had turned and these same people killed Jesus. And they killed him because he wasn't the Jesus that they wanted him to be. He had come to do something far greater. He had come to die for them so they could be saved eternally. It wasn't just about helping them out with the Romans in this moment, this cultural moment in time, he was doing something for all of eternity. Now, in the same way, the reason I'm bringing this up is because when we deal with issues like the problem of hell, we oftentimes try to solve these kinds of issues with man's wisdom. It is, people are notorious for taking this issue and trying to change it, or trying to work with it, or trying to massage the doctrine of hell to basically make it disappear. Because that's not the Jesus that they want. It's too hard. It's too difficult. And so they they reject the doctrine. By rejecting the doctrine, they're rejecting the truth of what God has brought to us. And by rejecting his truth, they're rejecting him. And all I would ask you is as we go through this stuff, that you would think about those Palm Sunday worshipers and not be like them, giving up on Jesus if this is too hard. Because it is hard. But one of the things you got to understand is that just because you maybe don't understand God's vision for eternity doesn't mean that you're right and he's wrong. You're not equipped to call God into question on this issue or any other issue, right? You simply don't have enough knowledge. In Isaiah 55, God says this. It says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God knows better than you. And that's not just a cop out. I'm not just telling you that so that I can then say, hey, God knows best, so just deal with it and go home. I'm not doing that. I wouldn't have had a seven-week skeptics form if I thought that we didn't need to look seriously at all of these issues and try to answer them the best that we can. What I'm saying is that if you come to the place where, well, logically you can understand how it works, but emotionally it's very, very difficult for you, I'm asking you to remember that your thoughts aren't his thoughts. That he can see the whole story, and you can see a very small part of it. We have to trust him. We have to trust God, right? We have to trust that we have a wise and loving God, and that he, in fact, knows best. Uh, Trust is difficult. Um, If you didn't have anything that was hard to believe or hard to deal with, you wouldn't have to trust. But God's asking us to trust him. My daughter... Corey, when I was, we lived in Tennessee several years ago, she was much smaller than she is now, shorter and little girl, and we were 
um, going bike riding. And there was a hill that we had to go down. I was on my bike and she was on her bike. And I asked her to trust me, to help her, because she was afraid to go down the hill. I said, listen, I'm going to grab your bike and we'll go down this hill together. Just trust me, you'll be fine. I was asking her to do it because she didn't believe that that was going to work out. So she had to reach deep inside herself and trust that my strong father's hands would hold her bike as we went down the hill. And so she did. And so I grabbed her bike and down the hill we went. About halfway down, we started to veer off to the side and then we totally crashed. So I wasn't as worried about paying for the bike, which was totally destroyed. And she was hurt. I was thinking more about the therapy bill um, that's going to be coming later. So that's a bad example. But God isn't like me. God isn't like me. When we, when we trust him, we don't crash. No one wants to go bike riding with me now, but that's okay. Um, all right, let's deal with the problem of hell. This is a big problem for us West Coast folks. Us West Coast folks do not like the problem of hell. We are kind of okay to allow for Jesus so long as he's not anything really like the Jesus of the Bible, and he never talks about sin or judgment or hell, then we're, then we're cool with Jesus. Um, but in fact, the problem that we have with that is that about half of the stories that Jesus told revolved around justice, judgment, and hell. So I think if we're going to be intellectually honest and just honest in general, we're going to have to deal with this even though we don't like to. Um, I know that, that our, our thing is that we're all tolerant and that everyone is right, right? There can't be any judgment if everybody is right. We've talked about this issue. In week one on postmodernism, we talked all about this. So I'm going to try to keep this part of it short. But we've got to revisit some of those issues because the problem of hell has a couple different intertwined issues. The first issue is the issue of exclusivism. Why is Jesus the only way to avoid hell? Or better said, is Jesus the only way to heaven? As you understand and deal with the problem of hell, that some people go to hell, we first have to deal with the fact that Jesus says, I am exclusively the way to get to heaven. I'm exclusively the way to get to heaven. But it's offensive to say that, right? In our society, if you go and say it, if you don't believe me, head down to any college campus and say, I know the one way, and see if you don't offend somebody. Somebody is going to be offended by that. That's our postmodern mantra. Everybody's right. All stories are equally right, or all stories are equally wrong, whichever way you want to look at postmodernism, right? We talked about that. Here are a few quotes to make the point about people wanting everybody to be right. John Lennon says this, I believe that what Jesus and Muhammad and Buddha and all the rest said was right. We'll, t- we'll talk about why that doesn't make any sense. Uh, Mahatma Gandhi, my position is that all the great religions are fundamentally equal. Now that one is interesting because, wait a second, which religions are the great religions? Which ones are the great ones? He's obviously excluding some religions. And whatever logic or reason he used to exclude some religions and pick the great ones, why couldn't he use that same logic and reasons, reason to pick between the great religions? We've got a problem there, trying to make everybody happy. 
Okay, I'll leave Gandhi alone. Let's move on to another uh, thinker, modern thinker, Oprah Winfrey. Uh, she says this, one of the biggest mistakes humans make is to believe there is only one way. There are many diverse paths leading to what you call God. That's what Oprah says, okay? If Oprah doesn't speak for our culture, I don't know who does, right? Now, here's the thing. You may find that you would prefer to believe what these people say than what I say. I would prefer probably to believe what they say than than what I say, right? What I say is going to get you in trouble. It's going to offend people and whatever. And what they say includes everybody and everybody's always happy with you. But here's the thing. It doesn't matter what you want. It only matters what's true. It only matters what's true. So you can want that all you want. You can want to believe in those things, that everybody, that all things are equal, that all religions are true, that all stories are the same. But that's not true. And so you have to follow the evidence to find out what is true. You've got to use your brain, your reason, your logic to figure this out. I had a friend in law school, and we had this issue. I'm not going to go through what the whole issue was, but we had this issue with some different students in law school and some issues that went on, and we had to figure out what the morally right thing to do was. And so, from Scripture and from from thinking about it and so on, we logically deduced what the right thing was to do. But the right thing to do that we had reasoned and logically deduced to was not the thing that my friend wanted to do. Emotionally, he wanted to handle it differently. The right thing to do was much harder. And he said to me, just because we figured it out, reasoned it out, or figured it out logically, does that mean that we have to do it? To which I said, yes. What other basis do you have to defend what you've done other than that you've reasoned to it reasonably? If you pick the thing that's unreasonable, that doesn't make any sense. God gave you a brain for a reason. you got to reason through this. So these guys are all saying, hey, these things are all the same, Right? That's what Oprah says and Gandhi and John Lennon and a lot of people. But Jesus said something different about that. Here's what Jesus said about Jesus. John 14, 6. John 14, 1 through 6. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, we've read that verse before, and and we're reading it again, and I bet we will read it again. Because it is such a shocker to our culture. It's very exclusive. It says, I'm the way. That means all other ways aren't the way. That's what Jesus said about himself. So, if we want to know how to get to heaven, we've got to realize that the Christian answer is an exclusive one. It's an exclusive one, and it doesn't actually work, or it's not actually true that all the great religions or all the religions or however you want to look at it say basically the same thing. 
Some of what these religions say is true. We talked about that last week. Some of it's true. But the essential things are completely different. This is uh, what a guy named Houston Smith said. He's a professor at Berkeley, and he's a scholar on, on world religions. He says this, Beyond vague generalities, every religion has some form of the golden rule, religions differ in what they consider essential and non-negotiable. They differ in what they consider essential and non-negotiable. Religions aren't all saying the same things. They just aren't. They differ on what's essential. Okay. We talked about this issue before. We're going to talk about it again. We talked about the law of non-contradiction. If you remember what the law of non-contradiction says, contradictory statements cannot both be true in the same sense and at the same time. Contradictory statements cannot both be true in the same sense at the same time. I cannot say that both I'm standing here and I'm not standing here. One of those things is true or the other one's true or neither one's true, but they cannot both be true, right? We talked about this. It's a law of reason. And because of this law of reason and the fact that, as Mr. Houston said, we have all these different religions saying completely different things, on essential doctrines. They cannot all be true at the same time. They cannot all be true at the same time. So it's important to understand that that means it's not just Christianity that's exclusive. All religions are exclusive. In fact, all ideas are exclusive. The law of non-contradiction says that if I have an idea, its opposite is automatically excluded. But the tolerant person wants to continue to tell you that you can be right and that everybody else can be right at the same time that you can all be right at the same time. And then when you say to the tolerant person, but wait a second, what about my idea of Christianity that says we can't all be right at the same time? To which the tolerant person will tell you, well, no, you're not right about that, which doesn't seem very tolerant to me, right? Everyone's right until they try to say that not everyone's right. And we run into a problem there. The bottom line is that Jesus claimed to be God. And he specifically claimed to be the only way to heaven. Now, you've got to do with that, with that claim, the one that we just read, what you would do with anyone else who claimed to be the only way to heaven. Anyone else who claimed to be the God, you'd have to run it through reason. You either have to think of them like you think of the lady down at the bus stop who mutters to herself and thinks she's the Queen of England, right? It's that kind of a statement, I'm God, I'm the only way. You've either got to think he's crazy like that, or you've got to think that he was basically evil and said this to try to get a bunch of people to follow him so he could have some sort of power, which doesn't fit with the story very well. Or you've got to believe that he's God, that he was right, that his claim to exclusive truth is true, that he is the only way to heaven, in which case you better bow down and worship him and follow him. But it's a choice that you have to make. You cannot get upset just because he says it's exclusive just because he says he's the only way. Everybody says their way is the only way. Even the people who say all ways lead are also exclusive. They exclude anybody who says anything other than that all ways lead to heaven. They're all exclusive. Everything's exclusive. The question is not, are you going to believe in something exclusive? The question is, which exclusive truth claim are you going to believe in? You're going to have to pick one. Jesus has laid it out for you. We cannot, as Christians, for some of us, continue to 
try to act as though everything's true and we can all just get along. We don't want to say anything. We don't want to offend anybody. We don't want anybody to think we're weird because we make some exclusive claim about Jesus. We can't do that. We cannot sacrifice the truth just to get along. We can't because you're hurting people when you do that. What's the difference between that and enabling somebody? You're pretending like something's not true so they can continue to believe that whatever false thing they believe is true, which is pulling them further away from God and further towards wherever they're headed. So that's the issue of exclusivity. But the rest of the problem of hell still remains. How can a loving God allow people to suffer in hell? Let's first remember that we are not just talking about an idea in philosophy. We're talking about real people. It's not philosophical ideas that will go to hell. It's real people. And so it's a somber topic. I actually was going to tell a joke on a lawyer going to hell and all this stuff. And I realized, you know what? It's probably, although it's hilarious, it's probably not the mood that I want to set. Because this is a very serious issue. This is a very serious issue. For many people, they have no problem with the idea of hell, so long as we're talking about Hitler or other great evildoers in history. They have a problem when you start talking about hell and they have to think about their spouse or their child or grandma. Because those people weren't Hitler. They're all good people, right? That's where the problem of hell really comes down to it. I had a friend once who said something to me like, Well, if grandpa's not in heaven, then there is no such thing as heaven. And one of the things that we have to understand about hell, because it's about real people, is that there are very strong psychological drivers that drive us to want to believe that hell is not real, that it doesn't exist, or that it's something less than what Scripture says that it is. Those drivers are psychological, and they're powerful. Powerful. So as we go through this, you have to try to stay as objective about the truth as you can. It's very difficult to do that. But if you come to the conclusion that hell is real and that maybe grandma or whoever, your friend, some person is there, the worst thing you can do is then decide that you're not going to follow Christianity because you don't like that doctrine and end up there yourself. That's the worst thing that you can do. That is the worst thing you can do. Jesus came to save us from all that. And of course, I hope you'll listen to part two of this study for much more helpful teaching. But if you need Jesus in your life, don't wait another minute. Simply ask him to forgive your sin Be your Savior, and He will. And if we can help, call us right now at 360-885-9000. Or come see us this Sunday morning at Axe Church. Get directions and all the info you need at axecamus.org. Thanks for listening, and be sure and check out Part 2 for much more with Pastor David Robinson here on Contemplate.